Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Damn sled kids. Suburbia is hard, man. suppose in the interest of full disclosure uh this is take two on this episode because i think i mentioned last week we are house sitting for my best friend from high school um and her husband and their their lovely family um so we're in an unfamiliar neighborhood that is very heavily family driven clearly which is lovely which is lovely but i think i mentioned in a few episodes ago that if i uh could had my choice i would voluntarily be the witch next door that all the kids had rumors about. And I just had my first like spell of it. Cause we were like <laughs> recording in the basement where we've recorded a couple episodes since we've been here. And <laughs> all of a sudden these kids just start sledding between the two houses, like screaming. And I'm like, Oh my God. Um, uh, uh if, if this was my house, I'd go out and be like, I'm working here. <laughs> The snow is poisoned. You can't be here. Get off my lawn. <laughs> you damn kids. <laughs> I realized my true calling today, and uh, and I'd always suspected it, but there it is. So everyone at home, I have a lot of friends with kids, and they're lovely, but other kids, I'm not about. This <laughs> is the person who has taught children before. <laughs> Hey, when I'm getting paid to deal with them, that's a whole nother issue. <laughs> oh, well, a little bit of money goes a long way to fixing most problems. It truly does. And speaking of, <laughs> if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, go to <laughs> buymeacoffee.com. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good, good, nice, clean, smooth segue. From hating children to buy me coffee. I mean, I do tend to deal with children better when I've had coffee and then wine. So I had coffee this morning, and now I'm having a glass of wine. Yeah. So so welcome to the Campfire Classics <laughs> charity drive. Your donation will ensure that Heather does not yell at children. <laughs> In the arms of If you want to keep Heather from screaming at the next-door neighbor children, please become a patron today or buy us a cup of coffee. Thank you. <laughs> Your dollar donation goes a long way. <laughs> but truly, though. Um, Sarah McLaughlin, please don't sue me for stealing your song. Yeah, she's okay with it. I mean, if she's already given it all to those organizations, <laughs> I think she's cool with it. You think she's cool with us hijacking her pet adoption song to <laughs> guilt people into giving us money? Yes, because we're an indie podcast and <laughs> she ain't got time. Unless she's listening, and then thanks, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. We love you. You're lovely. But truthfully, I mean, it's been, um, other than Sled Kids, it's been a nice, relaxing week. We've done three puzzles. Yeah. Well, two and 99.9% of a third. Because a puzzle I bought at Target, I went out to my, oh, that was the adventure of the week. I went to my first store in over two months, y'all. That was weird. Um... It was so there. So there's a Target like ten minutes away, and we'd been getting Instacart and stuff, which is great. But a lot of times, the produce they bring you is like In not exactly best. what I would pick. And for some reason, on those websites, like you order Limoncello Lacroix, and they're like they don't have it. And then I go to the store two days later, and they definitely had it. They were probably just looking in the wrong spot. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I need. I'm gonna go to Target. I double masked. 
I, I put on the like actual like medical mask and then I put my cloth mask over it. Do do doing it right. I did it right. And I uh, I went to Target and uh, it was a good time. That was a big adventure because like I've kind of forgotten how to interact with people, as I'm sure many people listening know. Um, and I brought headphones to wear and listen to like other podcasts actually while I was shopping. And my podcast, uh, my podcast, my headphones when I got there were dead, <laughs> and I was like, oh no. It's like that panic when you're on the subway and all of a sudden you realize you don't have your headphones. That's when I turn around and go home. Or I buy like a cheap pair of headphones (laughs) at like a bodega or something, which I have totally done. Um, But it was actually really nice because I like interacted with all the employees like because they noticed I didn't have anything in my ears and I wasn't with anyone. And I was kind of taking my time kind of just like, wow, there's that's nice. There's like people around and um and all the employees, like, as they went by, they're like, hi, how are you? And I was like, I'm good. How are you? And, like, there was just this, like, back and forth that was really, like, lovely. So thank you to the good people of Target for providing you with that. Target all day, baby. <laughs> and hey, Target, if you're listening, and I know you are, <laughs> you can pay for this endorsement by buying us a coffee. Oh, my gosh, Target, we know you got the money. <laughs> Come on. Come on. And I will go on and on. You don't even need to write me a script for your advertisement. I love me some Target. So, yeah. But that was my big adventure this week. Uh, What was yours? Did you have a big adventure? My big adventure this week came in the form of the the game that I'm in. Uh, I play in a weekly game. Um, It's very Dungeons and Dragons. It's very Dungeons and Dragons-esque for people who aren't deep in the know when I say it's part of the the White Wolf storyteller series that doesn't mean like anything. Like me, yeah. Um, I call it, but I, I always say he's playing D&D kind of. Yeah, it's Dungeons and Dragons kind of and uh, we had we had a fabulous game uh, just last night as we're recording this. It was just last night. Uh, I don't laugh that hard very often, period. It has been ages since I laughed that hard while gaming. Um, it was it was great fun, but it wasn't it wasn't like funny for the sake of being funny. It fit into the world of the gaming. It was it was it was beautiful. It was fabulous um, and much needed laughter. Ad- adventuring and and uh, yeah, yeah, turned out great. Yeah, and last night while you were doing that, I was also playing drag bingo for my yeah. friend Sean's birthday. So that was fun. So it's actually been a, you know what? Now that we have a new president, I'm actually like you know. Feeling like I can go do things, like, not, like, normal at all, because we're far from that, unfortunately, Um, but, like, I feel like I can breathe and kind of do other things and, like, at least... Like enjoy other moments in my yeah, life. Yeah, well, so. and and there's a way it feels like it's safe to get back to reaching out and connecting with people. And yeah, because they're not even all focused not, on one thing. Yeah, yeah, even even obviously even if not in person, even no. online through Zoom. Um, speaking of connections made online, uh, we at Campfire Classics have recently made new friends with uh, Mr. Lee Delaney over at uh, Curiosity Cake Podcast. Yeah, and he's from Yorkshire, England, and we've been deep into uh, 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 Great British Bake Off. (laughs) So uh, he's from Yorkshire, so I just think of uh, that he probably loves his Yorkshire puddings. So (laughs) uh, I, I stumbled upon his podcast actually on Twitter, and he had posted like, 
I am one follower away from like 2,000, I think was what it was. And I was like, I'll follow you. And like, I was his 2,000th follower. I think that was the number. And he was like, oh, amazing. And then I went and listened to the podcast since I followed him. And it's really cool. So we've got his promo here. And uh, I just love his accent. So we're going to throw that in <laughs> right here. So go support Lee Delaney at Curiosity Cake. I was always one of those curious kids. I had the chemistry set, a microscope, a telescope. I would take my toys apart to see how they worked. And now that I'm a grown up, I still have that huge sense of curiosity. If you too are an adult who was a curious kid, then Curiosity Cake is made for you. I'm your host, Lee Delaney. Join me as I talk to the best minds from academia and elsewhere to bring you accessible and engaging conversations across a wide range of topics with no prior knowledge required. I'll be asking questions such as, can nuclear fusion become a viable source of sustainable clean energy? Is it possible to create careers that fit our interests and personalities? And how can we know how to eat well with so much conflicting nutrition information? You can enjoy a slice of Curiosity Cake by subscribing on your favorite podcast app or via the website curiositycake.co.uk. All you need is a cup of tea and a fork. So go check that out. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, the episode. The first episode I listened to was uh, he was doing like a deep dive into ants <laughs> and had like a, a bug guy. What's it? Orna, not ornithologist. Uh, nope. Entomologist. Entomologist. That one. Yeah. Um, the thing my friends all say I should be because I love bugs. Uh, <laughs> you know, the way I always remember the term entomologist. How? Um, it's because entomologist, people who study bugs, and etymologist, people who study the origins of words, uh-huh. are like, they're only one, one letter, letter. Uh, apart. And one of my favorite linguistic, like, stupid snooty jokes <laughs> is people who don't know the difference between etymology and entomology bug me in ways I cannot put into words. Boo! Boo! I love it. <laughs> love it. But yeah, go check go check out Curiosity Cake and uh, yeah, loving it. Uh, should we get into the thing? Yeah, why don't we do that thing we do? Like the actual thing we do, yeah. which is tell stories which is and whatnot. Try to read a book that looks really good on a bookshelf. Usually in leather bound with gold tips and yeah, or bought it or def or definitely bought it like us used bookstore and you're like, oh, I've heard of that. I should read that author. Uh, All right. Yay. So uh, this week um, we're uh, bringing you a new author. For those of you who might be new to the podcast, because I kind of figure every episode we record is probably somebody's first episode of Campfire Classics. We can only hope. Uh, And if you've made it this far, um, you might be really confused why we haven't read a story yet. <laughs> like, who are these people? Why, What's going why is, on? Why is one a witch next door and the other a Dungeons and Dragons next door? <laughs> I think I clicked the wrong podcast. Uh, so, uh, before we get around to reading the story, we like to share a few fun facts. Uh, and since we have a new author today, these are going to be some fun facts about our author. Sir Pelham Grenville Woodhouse. No. Better known as <laughs> P.G. Woodhouse. Is he British? Uh, He was uh, an English writer and is one of history's most widely read humorists. All right. Uh, He is his most famous creations today are the stories revolving around Jeeves and Wooster. Yep. 
but in his day, many of his characters were well-known and well-loved. He also wrote scripts for MGM and musicals with Jerome Kern. What? Yep. Back in Jerome Kern's early days when he was writing like off-Broadway and Tin Pan Alley musicals, the stories, the books for those musicals were coming from P.G. Woodhouse. Cool. (laughs) Love Uh, MT history. Yep. Uh, In all, he published more than 90 books, 40 plays, and 200 short stories and other writings between the years 1902 and 1974. Damn. He's busy. Damn. I was going to say we're going to read them all, but no, most of those won't be available to us for for quite some time. No, just the first 23 years worth of them. Yeah, that'll do. That'll, that'll keep us busy for a while. Well, and he kept writing until 1974, which means he's got new material coming into the public domain for the next 50 years. Sweet. When so I'm our, 90 we can, almost. We can, we can read some of his short stories on our 50th anniversary episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> we better have a thousand patrons by then. Because then right? you'll have your tattoo. Because then I'll have my tattoo. <laughs> Uh, So, biographical information on P.G. Woodhouse uh, comes to you from P.G. Woodhouse, A Portrait of a Master. P.G. Woodhouse. Say his full name one more time. Sir Pelham Grenville Woodhouse. Pelham Grenville. The P.G. Woodhouse Society website and our good friend Wikipedia. Love Wiki. Yep. So, uh, he was born prematurely to a well off family. On October 15th, 1881, Uh, both of his parents could trace their lineage back to aristocracy, and his father was a magistrate in the British colony of Hong Kong. Okay. He was born in England, though, because his mother was visiting family when he arrived, and as I said, he arrived early, so she was surprised to give birth while on vacation. Yeah. Mm. Well, and if she'd given birth in Hong Kong at that point, wasn't Hong Kong a British province anyway? Yeah, it was a British colony, at, so at he'd, have, he'd have still have been a British citizen, British citizen or but however citizenship yeah. worked. Yeah, but daddy you wasn't know, there when he was born. years ago, but daddy wasn't around. Dad yeah. was back in Hong Kong. That's like, and then it took a telegram like two weeks to get there <laughs> to be like, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, hey, I'm a dad. I'm a dad. Uh, again, a dad oh. again. He was the third of three sons. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's the baby. Yeah. Uh, He was baptized Pelham Grenville. And in 1957... Sounds like a Harry Potter-like professor. Yeah, it really does. In 1957, he wrote, If you ask me to tell you frankly if I like the name Pelham Grenville Woodhouse, I must confess that I do not. (laughs) I was named after a godfather and not a thing to show for it but a small silver mug which I lost in 1897. Well, damn. (laughs) Well, at least he's sensible. I can't imagine anyone having that name who's like, this is the best name ever. (laughs) If I had that name, oh my God, I would totally trade on the name Pelham Grenville. Somewhere along the line, though, um, Pelham got contracted to Plum, and that is how he was known to his friends and family. Plum instead of Pelham. Oh, well, that's cute. Plum Woodhouse. That's a cute little uh, nickname for a kid, yeah. Mm. Uh, So he spent the first two years of his life with his family in Hong Kong, but his parents then sent him and his two older brothers back to England where they were raised by a nanny. Sounds about right. Um, Yeah, that was very common practice for for middle class and upper class 
people English of the families time. at the well, time. Well, New York, I mean, especially still. <laughs> uh, English families where the parents had jobs like magistrate in yeah, Hong Kong, so they, they were, were traveling living the overseas and yeah. traveling. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So his nanny was Mary Poppins. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, So Plum claimed to have had a pleasant and easy childhood, but psychiatrists have said that his flippant tone and avoidance of deep emotional connections in his work and his personal life are characteristic of someone whose detached childhood has left them with serious emotional scarring. That is such a psychiatrist thing to say. Yep. As someone who loves some psychiatry, (laughs) because good Lord knows I need it. Um, but, uh, don't we all these days, but what they're like, he's like, yeah, my life's good. And his tone in writing, they're like, he must have some trauma somewhere. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) How dare you? What if he's just like, that's just the characters he's decided to write. And I mean, he's probably a little detached because he didn't, he wasn't raised by his parents. No, he wasn't. He was raised by. That seems obvious to me. (laughs) They found that out and they're like, oh, let me analyze this book now. (laughs) As I twiddle my mustache. Your your fake mustache made of the waistband string of your pants. <laughs> uh, as a young teen at boarding school, Plum excelled at cricket, rugby, and boxing, and his headmaster claimed he was very bright, but not an entirely diligent student. Hey, I know what that's like, hey, mom and dad, right? <laughs> He knew what he loved. Yeah, he was also apparently uh, quite a good singer, and he participated in school concerts regularly. He sounds like my kind of boy. Yeah. Uh, however, as I said, the man ended up publishing over 200 short stories, so odds are pretty good we're going to run across him again. And today's story, though not unreasonably long, is on the longer side okay. of ones we've read. So I'm going to leave the rest of his life for later readings and get on with it. Get on with it. Uh, so today's story is called Absent Treatment, and it focuses on the character of Reggie Pepper, a character who later became the template for Bertie Wooster from Wooster from okay. the Jeeves and Wooster stories. In fact, several of the Reggie Pepper stories were later updated and Jeeves and Wooster were just plumped plopped into them. Okay. Um for for comic purposes. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so that's today will be absent treatment. Absent treatment. Let's start the fire. Oh, it's so warm. So cold out. Absent Treatment by P.G. Woodhouse. I want to tell you about my dear old Bobby Cardew. It's a most interesting story. I can't put in any literary style and all that, but I don't have to, don't you know? Because it goes on its moral lesson. (laughs) If you're a man, you mustn't miss it because it'll be a warning to you. If you're a woman, you won't want to, because it's all about how a girl made a man feel pretty well fed up with things. (laughs) So So far, what we've got is, this is a story about my friend. It's really good. I'm not going to tell it well, but I don't need to. Here's why you should listen. (laughs) Men, you need to hear this. Women, you already know. You'll enjoy it. That's usually the the case. If you're... A recent acquaintance of Bobby's, you'll probably be surprised to hear that there was a time when he was more remarkable for the weakness of his memory than anything else. 
Dozens of fellows who have only met Bobby since the change took place have been surprised <laughs> when I told them that. Yes, it's true. Believe me. What change? The change. Like, now I'm very intrigued. The change. Dunk, dunk. Like, that That feels like... Um, like a very law incident, and order. Yeah. The event. Yeah, I'm very intrigued That now. day. All right. In the days when I first knew him, Bobby Cardew was about the most pronounced young rotter inside the inside the four mile radius. What's a young rotter? <laughs> R O T T E R. I bet um, Lee from Curiosity Cake would know. <laughs> <laughs> a cruel, stingy, or unkind person. Okay, so he's a poo poo. All right. Yeah, he's a dick. He was a dick. All right. Bobby Cardew was about the most pronounced young rotter inside the four-mile radius. People have called me a silly ass, but I was never in the same class with Bobby. <laughs> when it came to being a silly ass, he was a plus-four man, <laughs> while my <laughs> handicap was about six. <laughs> okay. Why, if I wanted him to dine with me, I used to post him a letter at the beginning of the week and then the day before send him a telegram and a phone call on the day itself and half an hour before the time we'd fixed, a messenger in a taxi whose business it was to see that he got in and that the chauffeur had the address all correct. <laughs> By doing this, I generally managed to get him unless he had left town before my messenger arrived. <laughs> so... So he is not uh. the most reliable friend, and he's kind of a dick with a bad memory. This is so he this sounds is the lovely. Extreme, this is the extreme of the friend who, like, if dinner is at seven o'clock, you tell them dinner's at six fifteen. Yes, and then they show up at seven fifteen, yeah. and you're like, perfect. <laughs> You've had time to order a drink, and you know they'll be there soon. All right. The funny thing was that he wasn't altogether a fool in other ways. Deep down in him, there was a kind of stratum of sense. I had known him once or twice show an almost human intelligence. But to reach that stratum, mind you, you need dynamite. <laughs> wow. At least that's what I thought. But there was another way which hadn't occurred to me. Marriage, I mean. <laughs> Marriage, the dynamite of the soul. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Marriage, the dynamite of the soul. That was what hit Bobby. Um, so just because you've already run across a couple of sentences that are structured in sort of a convoluted way yeah. or a, a, an amusing way. Yeah. Um, this is something that I ran across when I was looking up fun facts. Okay. But decided not to put it in because I didn't know if it'd be an issue, but... Clearly. Sounds like it will. Yeah. Richard Usborne, don't know who that is, but apparently he has done significant study into Woodhouse's works, uh, apparently says that only a writer who was himself a scholar and had had his face ground into Latin and Greek as a boy could sustain the complex sequences of subordinate clauses sometimes found in Woodhouse's comic prose. I would agree with that. In other words, 
You can tell this dude studied the classics of Latin and Greek just because of the fucked up way he makes sentences. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm ready now. I'm in it now. So I'm, I, I got it. Now you know you should be prepared to read Latin. I'm now a scholar of P.G. Woodhouse. <laughs> but there was another way which hadn't occurred to me. Marriage, I mean. Marriage, the dynamite of the soul. That was, that was what hit Bobby. He married. Have you ever seen a bull pup chasing a bee? The pup sees the bee. It looks good to him, but he still doesn't know what's at the end of it till he gets there. It was like that with Bobby. <laughs> so like when a dog bites a bee and gets his ass stung. Like, or his like, tongue stung. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> it was like that with Bobby. He fell in love, got married with a sort of whoop as it were the greatest fun in the world. And then began to find things out. <laughs> she wasn't the sort of girl you would have expected Bobby to rave about. And yet, I don't know. What I mean is, she worked for her living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how passe. A working girl in the early 1900s. Working Not that kind of working Well, <laughs> We don't know, I guess. She worked for her living, and to a fellow who had never done a hand's turn in his life, there's undoubtedly a sort of fascination, a kind of romance about a girl who works for her living. <laughs> Maybe that was like Prince Harry's obsession with Meghan Markle. It's like, he's like, oh, I'm just this American girl who like has worked. Like, it's just, I'm so into it. He, he just really wanted to slum it. Yeah, he's slumming it. <laughs> Her name was Anthony, Mary Anthony. I was going to say, Anthony's a <laughs> strange name for a woman in the well, early 1900s. Well, and the 1900s. guy's name is Bobby, which could also be a female name. So it's like, what are we doing with her? Oh, very progressive. Her name was Anthony, Mary Anthony. She was about five feet six and had a ton and a half of red gold hair, gray eyes, and one of those determined chins. Goddamn. She was a hospital nurse. Well, damn. When Bobby smashed himself up at polo, she was told off by the authorities to smooth his brow and rally round with cooling unguents and all that. And the old boy hadn't been put up and about again for more than a week before they popped off to the registrars and fix it up. Quite the romance. <laughs> okay, so he had Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale, Nightingale yeah. <laughs> He's like... He had a head injury, and this pretty young working girl took care of him, and he's like, I will marry you. <laughs> Some friend, that, that's when you intervene. You're like, you might have a concussion. <laughs> Bobby broke the news to me at the club one evening, and next day he introduced me to her. I admired her. I've never worked myself. <laughs> These people suck. My name's Pepper, by the way. Almost forgot to mention it. Reggie Pepper. <laughs> My Uncle Edward was Pepper. Wells and Company. The Colliery people? The Colliery people. Is that like a C-O-L-L-I-E-R-Y? Oh, that makes sense. Uh, a coal mine and the buildings and equipment associated with it. Got it. So they own a coal mine. They make but money they off don't, of coal, yeah. They don't fucking do a thing. That sounds about right. My Uncle Edward was Pepper, Wells, and Company, the colliery people. 
He left me a sizable chunk of bullion. I say I've never worked myself, but I admire anyone who earns a living under difficulties, especially a girl. Oh my God. I want to punch this guy in the dick. And this girl had a rather unusual tough time of it, being an orphan and all that. Oh my God, is this fuck is uh, Little Orphan Annie grew up to be a nurse. Being an orphan. Uh, this was reminding me of like uh, um, um, Pirates of Penzance, like Friedrich. It's like an orphan. <laughs> yeah, but she became a nurse instead of a pirate, which is way less cool. That is very, very true. Well, maybe she is a pirate on the side. We have to wait and see. She could be. That that could be the change. The maybe event. she's Ruth. Maybe she grows up to be Ruth. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Being an orphan and all that, and having had to do everything off her own bat for years. Mary and I got along altogether splendidly. We don't know how, but we'll come to that later. <laughs> I don't know how I talked I to this I don't know common why working I girl. I like this woman, but. <laughs> she just fascinates me, and we'll get to that later. Don't it's, worry about it's it. It's the ton and a half of red hair. <laughs> that, that's, there are a lot of redheads in classic literature. And they're always kind of up to no good. I'm not going to say. Yeah. So I'm waiting. Mary and I got along altogether splendidly. We don't know how, but we'll come on that later. I'm speaking of the past. She seemed to think Bobby the greatest thing on earth, judging by the way she looked at him when she thought I wasn't noticing. And Bobby seemed to think the same about her. So that I came to the conclusion myself, if only dear Bobby didn't forget to go to the wedding... They would have had a sporting chance of being quite happy. Oh, no. Oh, shit. This idiot who always forgets things didn't show up for his wedding. He left this girl at the altar? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, let's brisk up a bit here and jump a year. (laughs) (laughs) The story doesn't really start till then. They took a flat and settled down. I was in and out of the place quite a good deal. I kept my eyes open, and everything seemed to me to be running along as smoothly as you could want. If this was a marriage, I thought, I couldn't see why fellows were so frightened of it. (laughs) There were a lot of worse things that could happen to a man. It's the honeymoon phase, just wait. This is so funny. It's like this guy has no opinions of marriage or women. But Well, when you're rich and have never had to work, all you have is opinions. But now we come to the incident of the quiet dinner, and it's just here that love's young dream hits a snag and things begin to occur. Gulp. Oh, no. I happened to meet Bobby in Piccadilly, and he asked me to come back to dinner at the flat. And, like a fool, instead of bolting and putting myself under police protection, I went. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Now we know what's about to happen. Is there going to be a murder? When we got to the flat, there was Mrs. Bobby looking, well, I tell you, it staggered me. Her gold hair was all piled up in waves and crinkles and things with a what-do-you-call-it-of-diamonds in it. It's like a tiara, I'm guessing. And she was wearing the most perfectly ripping dress. I couldn't begin to describe it. I can only say it was the limit. It struck me that 
If this is how she was in the habit of looking every night when they were dining quietly at home together, it was no wonder that Bobby liked domesticity. <laughs> <laughs> so she all dressed all sexy. She's looking good. She's looking good. Here's old Reggie, dear, said Bobby. I've brought him home to have a bit of dinner. I'll phone down to the kitchen and ask them to send it up now. What? She stared at him as if she had never seen him before. Uh-oh. Then she turned scarlet. Then she turned white as a sheet. Then she gave a little laugh. It was the most interesting to watch. Made me wish I was up a tree about 800 miles away. Then she recovered herself. I'm so glad you were able to come, Mr. Pepper, she said, smiling at me. Oh, shit. And after that, she was all right. At least you would have said so. She talked a lot at dinner and chafed Bobby and played us ragtime on the piano afterwards as if she hadn't a care in the world. Quite a jolly little party it was. Not. <laughs> was that the first was not, the first joke, not ever? joke? Oh my god! It was like it literally is like party. It was dash not. <laughs> this was the best dinner of my life. Not. not. <laughs> well, now we know PG Woodhouse invented the not joke. Good to know. I'm no lynx-eyed sleuth and all that sort of thing, but I had seen her face at the beginning, and I knew that she was working the whole time and working hard to keep herself in hand, and that she would have given that diamond what's-its-name in her hair and everything else she possessed to have one good scream. (laughs) Just one. We've all been there, especially in the past, like, ten months. I've sat through some pretty thick evenings in my time, but that one has the rest beaten in a canter. (laughs) Of course, he uses a horse term. At the very earliest moment, I grabbed my hat and got away. (laughs) Having seen what I did, I wasn't particularly surprised to meet Bobby at the club the next day, looking about as merry and bright as a lonely gumdrop at an Eskimo tea party. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's a... That is a weird image. Turn of phrase. Why is there one gumdrop? I just imagine this one little green gumdrop that no one wanted to eat, and it's so cold because it's in an igloo. Is that a popular phrase? Uh, So, when you look up the phrase Eskimo Tea Party, and I'm sorry, that's the last time I will use that phrase because I know that is not not, the accepted term. It's what is written. when when you look it up online, what pops up is the oil painting by Adam Sheriff Scott from 1970. And it is a painting that apparently is set on Baffin Island of five Inuit people sitting down to a tea party in the mountains by a lake. All right. Lovely. I have no idea what else that phrase might be supposed to mean. I have no idea what that gumdrop is doing at the Inuit tea party... And it, it, I, I would eat know. that gumdrop. I would absolutely, and I don't even love gumdrops. I'd eat the shit out of that because I'd be, I'd feel so sad for it. Also, nothing should be so cold. I don't like the cold or sledding children. I know you said or <laughs> sledding children. I definitely heard just for a moment. I don't like the cold 
or slutty children. <laughs> and uh, we'll move on from there. He started in straight away. He seemed glad to have somebody to talk to about it. <laughs> Do you know how long I've been married? He said. I didn't exactly. <laughs> about a year, isn't it? Not about a year, he had said sadly. Exactly a year. Yesterday. <laughs> he missed his anniversary. Yep. Oh, shit. Then I understood. I saw a light, a regular flash of light. Yesterday was the anniversary of the wedding. I'd arranged to take Mary to the Savoy and on to Covent Garden. She particularly wanted to hear Caruso. I had tickets for the box in my pocket. Do you know, all through dinner, I had a kind of rummy idea that there was something I'd forgotten, but I couldn't think of what... Till your wife mentioned it? He nodded. <laughs> she mentioned it, he said thoughtfully. Oh, my God. Oh, no. This is why people should talk to each other. All she had to do when he came in was be like, honey, did you forget what day it is? Like, that's it. That, and then he'd be like, oh, that's right. I have a terrible memory. <laughs> we know that about me. <laughs> Moving on. This is why you talk about things. What is or write them down? Yes, I mean he's got what fucking cooks and servants and shit. Have somebody be his little private secretary. Come on, come on, come on, bra, get it together. I didn't ask for details. Women with hair and chins like Mary's may be angels most of the time, but when they take off their wings for a bit, they aren't half-hearted about it. <laughs> oh, this bitch is my bitch. Let me tell you. <laughs> Ken, you've seen me take my wings off, haven't you? <laughs> Not at you, no. actually. I, I, well, I'm never at you. <laughs> you have seen my wings off. <laughs> maybe, maybe once. You're being or twice, so nice, darling. People that know sweetie. me, sweet darling, don't sweetie me. <laughs> wings off. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> Just saying. To be absolutely frank, old top, said poor Bobby in a broken sort of way, my stock's pretty low at home. <laughs> there didn't seem to be much more to be done. I just lit a cigarette and sat there. He didn't want to talk. Presently, he went out. I stood at the window of our upper smoking room, which looks out on Piccadilly, and watched him. He walked slowly along for a few yards, stopped, then walked on again. And finally turned into a jeweler's, which was an instance of what I meant when I said that deep down in him, there was a certain stratum of sense. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like pacing back and forth in the middle of Piccadilly Circus, like, oh God. And then he's like, it's like, ah. all of a sudden this jewelry store lights up. He's I know like, how to fix this. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs> They're not really. I like, I mean, I'm sure they are for some people. And I really like the one on my finger. But like, <laughs> I mean, I, I much prefer pasta and french fries. <laughs> Which is like, great for me because I can afford pasta and french fries. Yeah. <laughs> 
It was from now on that I began to be really interested in this problem of Bobby's married life. Of course, one's always mildly interested in one's friend's marriages. Hopefully they'll turn out well and all that, but this was different. The average man isn't like Bobby, and the average girl isn't like Mary. It was that old business of the immovable mass and the irresistible force. (laughs) There was Bobby ambling gently through life, a dear old chap in a hundred ways, but undoubtedly a chump of the first water. (laughs) Wow. And there was Mary, determined that she shouldn't be a chump, and nature, mind you, was on Bobby's side, When nature makes a chump like dear old Bobby, she's proud of him and doesn't want her handiwork disturbed. She gives him a sort of natural armor to protect against outside interference, and that armor is shortness of memory. (laughs) Shortness of memory keeps a man a chump when, but for it, he might cease to be one. Take my case, for instance. I'm a chump. This is ridiculous. Well, if I'd had remembered half the things people have tried to teach me during my life, my size of hats would be about number nine. But I didn't. I forgot them. And it was just the same with Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'd given a shit about any of my education and listened to anything, I'd be really smart and my head would be bigger. But because I'm rich and don't have to do anything, I'm just a dumb chump. Must be nice. At least he knows. Like, I'm not going to lie. A lot of, like, rich, snobby people think they're the fucking smartest people in the world. I wish I could afford to be a chump. I know. I wish I was dumb enough to be a chump, honestly. (laughs) It's so hard to be smart. Anyway. For about a week, perhaps a bit more, the recollection of that quiet little domestic evening bucked him up like a tonic. Elephants, I read somewhere, are champions at the memory business. But they were fools to Bobby during that week. But bless you, the shock wasn't nearly big enough. It had dinted the armor, but it hadn't made a hole in it. Pretty soon, he was back at the old game. It was pathetic, don't you know? The poor girl loved him, and she was frightened. It was the thin edge of the wedge, you see, and she knew it. A man who forgets what day he was married, when he's been married for one year, will forget about the end of the fourth, that he's married at all. Oh, Uh-oh. dear. If she meant to get him in hand at all, she had got to do it now, before he began to drift away. Oh, no. Time to crack the whip. I saw that clearly enough. I tried to make Bobby see it when he was by way of pouring out his troubles to me one afternoon. I can't remember what it was that he had forgotten the day before, but it was something she had asked him to bring home for her. It may have been a book. It's such a little thing to make a fuss about, said Bobby, and she knows that it's simply because I've got such an infernal memory about everything. I can't remember anything, never could. He talked on for a while, and just as he was going, he pulled out a couple of sovereigns. Oh, by the way, he said. What's this for, I asked, though I knew. I owe you. How's that, he said. Why, that bet on Tuesday in the billiard room. Murray and Brown were playing a hundred up, and I gave you two to one that Brown would win, and Murray beat him by twenty-odd. So you do remember some things, I said. He got quite excited. 
he got quite excited, said that if I thought he was the sort of rotter who forgot to pay when he lost a bet, it was pretty rotten of me after knowing him all these years and a lot more like that. Subside, laddie, I said. Then I spoke to him like a father. <laughs> what you've got to do, my old college chum, I said, is to pull yourself together and jolly quick, too. As things are shaping, you're due for a nasty knock before you know what's hit you. You've got to make an effort. Don't say you can't. This two-quid business shows that even if your memory is rocky, you can remember some things. What you've got to do is see that wedding anniversaries and so are all included in the list. It may be a brain strain, but you can't get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor baby had a brain strain. Oh, baby, gotta write things down and remember things. Poor oh. baby had a brain strain. Oh, booty boo. I suppose you're right, said Bobby. But it beats me why she thinks such a lot of these rotten little dates. What's it matter if I forgot what day we were married or on what day she was born or on what day the cat had the measles? Why does the cat have the measles? <laughs> Also, why are you comparing, I don't remember what day our cat had the measles, <laughs> to, to I don't birthday. remember my wife's birthday. Rude. <laughs> Not for nothing. He's a chump. <laughs> but one of those you celebrate. The other one. You go you to like, the vet and have you to put your cat down. <laughs> Jesus. She knows I love her just as much as if I were a memorizing freak at the halls. <laughs> That's not enough for a woman, I said. They want to be shown. Bear that in mind, and you're all right. Forget it, and there'll be trouble. He chewed the knob of his stick. <laughs> wow, I thought you had to get ribs removed to do that. <laughs> apparently, apparently he's very flexible. <laughs> and he shouldn't be chewing on that. Well, now, some people are into... You know, Biting? rougher things than others. I, you and know what? I, I don't want to kink shame anybody. And I imagine but I would, when it's self-administered, you don't have to worry about a safe word. That is very true. I mean, aren't they in public? Maybe he shouldn't be biting his stick in public. He really is a chump. We don't know what kind of club they're at. That It is a gentleman's club. <laughs> And then he said, women are frightfully rummy, he said gloomily. <laughs> you should have thought of that before you married one, I said. <laughs> this is so very important to being earnest. It's, yeah, it's it's very, very self-aware. Yeah, very self-aware that the men are stupid and the women are much smarter. And one of them likes to chew on his own knobs. So, I mean. No, his own. Was it knob? I thought it was stick. stick. Oh, I'm sorry. He likes to, he likes to chew on the knob of his stick. Got it. <laughs> sorry, too many, too many things. He likes to chew on the knob of his stick, not chew on his own stick. Though, just the too, knob. Too many. Too, just, the, just the just knob. Just the tip. Just the just, just the, the knob. knob. Too too many entendres <laughs> in one sentence. There's way too many in that one little sentence. And we've been doing so well, really. I don't see that I could have done any more. I'd put the whole thing in a nutshell for him. You would have thought he had seen the point and that it would have made him brace up and get a hold of himself. But no. 
Off he went again in the same old way. I gave up arguing with him. I had a good deal of time on my hands, but not enough to amount to anything when it was a question of reforming dear old Bobby by argument. If you see a man asking for trouble and insisting on getting it, the only thing to do is stand by and wait till it comes to him. (laughs) After that, you may get a chance. (laughs) But till then, there's nothing to be done. But I thought a lot about him. Bobby didn't get into the soup all at once. Weeks went by and months and still nothing happened. Now and then he'd come into the club with a sort of cloud on his shining morning face, and I'd know that he had been there had been doings in the home, but it wasn't till well into the spring that he got the thunderbolt just where he had been asking for it in the thorax. He should have used the safe word. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently she has access to Zeus. Yes. <laughs> There's thunderbolts. Well, that is going to cause problems at home. That is going to cause a lot of problems because Zeus likes to cause problems. Yeah. I was smoking another man. I was smoking a quiet... I was smoking another man? (laughs) I was referring back to Zeus causing trouble. Um, I realized what I just said. More knob sticks and smoking and (laughs) chewing and... Oh, no. Knob sticks. I'm never going to be able to watch bed knobs and broomsticks again. <laughs> bed knobs and knob sticks. <laughs> Chew on my knob <laughs> Angela Lansbury. No, we did already mention. Did we, men- we mentioned Angela Lansbury twice because she was Ruth and Bert's Benson's and not this. I can see Angela Lansbury chewing on Chewing on a knob stick? <laughs> I'll bet there's a website. Oh, no. Oh, no. Please don't send that to us. I don't want to see Mrs. Potts in that way. (laughs) Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Why did Cinderella... Wait. I forgot the joke. What did Cinderella say when she got to the ball? (laughs) That used to be the only joke I knew. (laughs) Apparently, I don't know it anymore. I was smoking a quiet cigarette one morning in the window, looking out over Piccadilly and watching the buses and motors going up one way and down the other. This is what rich people do. Watch (laughs) buses? Smoke in a window and watch the buses go by. Most interesting it is. I often do it. (laughs) This guy needs a job. (laughs) Or a hobby. He needs a hobby. At least he needs a a podcast. (laughs) Or a wife. Mary could find him a nice redhead. Oh, yeah. He he definitely needs a redhead. Uh, Motor cars going up and down. Most interesting it is. I often do it. When in rushed Bobby, with his eyes bulging and his face the color of an oyster, waving a piece of paper in his hand. Reggie, he said. Reggie, old top, she's gone. Ruh-roh. Gone? I said, Who? Mary, of course, gone, left me, gone. Where, I said. Silly question? Perhaps you're right. Anyhow, dear old Bobby nearly foamed at the mouth. (laughs) Where? How should I know? Here, read this. 
He pushed the paper into my hand. It was a letter. Go on, said Bobby. Read it. <laughs> so I did. It certainly was quite a letter. There was not much of it, but it was all to the point. This is what it said. My dear Bobby, I am going away. When you care enough about me to remember to wish me many happy returns on my birthday, I will come back. My address will be Box 341, London Morning News. I read it twice. Then I said, Well, why don't you? Why don't I what? Why don't you wish her many happy returns? It doesn't seem much to ask. But she says on her birthday. Well, when is her birthday? Can't you understand? Said Bobby, I've forgotten. Forgotten, I said. Yes, said Bobby, forgotten. How do you mean forgotten, I said. Forgotten whether it's the 20th or the 21st or what? How near do you get to it? I know it came somewhere between the 1st of January and the 31st of December. That's how near I can get to it. (laughs) Well, we've narrowed it down to a date that exists. A date that is in reality. Think. Think? What's the use of saying think? Think I haven't thought? I've been knocking sparks out of my brain ever since I opened that letter. And you can't remember? No. I rang the bell and ordered restoratives. (laughs) Maybe if we we get him drunk. If we get him drunk, he might remember his wife's birthday. I rang the bell and ordered restoratives. Well, Bobby, I said, it's a pretty hard case to spring on an untrained amateur like me. Suppose someone had come to Sherlock Holmes and said, Mr. Holmes, here's a case for you. When is my wife's birthday? Wouldn't that have given... (laughs) I can only imagine Sherlock Holmes' response to that. He's like, get the fuck out of my office. Or... He'd look at like the guy's jacket. The, the wear, the wear on the ring would let him know how long they had been married, uh, and like something. He about would know she was a working woman, the so she tan probably, lines yeah. would let let him know what month of the year they got married, which would, um, you know, obviously Pisces like to get married, blah blah blah. So it must be February and the thing and the and stuff. And then he'd leave the room for a minute, call Mycroft, get him to look at the government files, and come back in and be like, "I've solved it." Yeah. <laughs> Mister Holmes, here's a case for you. When's my wife's birthday? Wouldn't that have given Sherlock a jolt? However, I know enough about the game to understand that a fellow can't shoot off his deductive theories unless you start him with a clue. So rouse yourself out of that pop-eyed trance and come across with two or three. For instance, can't you remember the last time she had a birthday? What sort of weather was it? That might fix the month. Bobby shook his head. (laughs) This guy is hopeless. Useless. It was just... Ordinary weather, as near as I can recollect. Warm, warmish, or cold. Well, fairly cold, perhaps. I can't remember. <laughs> well, it was damp. Yes, we're in London. <laughs> we are in England, so it's probably a little foggy and a little damp. I ordered 
two or more of the same. <laughs> yep, they're just going to get tanked. I ordered two or more of the same. They seemed indicated in the young detective's manual. <laughs> You're a great help, Bobby, I said, an invaluable assistant, one of those indispensable adjuncts without which no home is complete. <laughs> that was completely dripping. <laughs> Yes, that sarcasm. Sarcasm. Sarcasm is a universal language that transcends country and centuries. Yes. So uh, PG Woodhouse was a fan of sarcasm and not jokes. That's what we have learned. <laughs> Bobby seemed to be thinking. I've got it, he said suddenly. Look here, I gave her a present on her last birthday. All we have to do is go to the shop. Hunt up the date when I bought it, and the thing's done. Absolutely. Well, what did you give her? He sagged. I can't remember. <laughs> I think this guy needs to see a doctor. This is a worthless train wreck of a human being. This man needs to see a, a like, he needs a CAT scan, like, right now. <laughs> or he has some early onset dementia. Because he's just probably like 25. Smacked around a little well, bit. Well, I think he does. <laughs> she should have pulled the moonstruck thing and just snap, snap out, out of it. Of it. <laughs> yes. Share always. <laughs> Getting ideas is like golf. <laughs> the harder you whack it with a big stick, <laughs> the further your idea the further will we'll go. go. Let's find out why. Getting ideas is like golf. Some days you're right off. Others, it's as easy as falling off a log. <laughs> I don't suppose dear old Bobby had ever had two ideas in the same morning before in his life. <laughs> but now he did it without an effort. He just loosed down another dry martini in the undergrowth. And before you could turn around, it had flushed quite a brainwave. Do you know those little books called When You Were Born? There's one for each month. They tell you your character. Your t Oh, it's like a horoscope. It's a horoscope. You were saying Pisces, la-da-da. Yep. Da. Uh, they tell you your character, your talents, your strong points, and your weak points at four pence, half penny a go. <laughs> Bobby's idea was to buy the whole 12 and go through them till he found out which month hit on Mary's character. That would give us the month and narrow it down a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> A pretty hot idea for a non-thinker like dear old Bobby. <laughs> he sallied out at once. He took half and I took half and we settled down to work. As I say, it sounded good. But when we came to go into the thing, we saw that there was a flaw. There was plenty of information, all right, but there wasn't a single month that didn't have something that exactly hit off Mary. For instance, in the December book it said... December people are apt to keep their own secrets. They are extensive travelers. Well, Mary had certainly kept her secret, and she had traveled quite extensively enough for Bobby's needs. Then, October people were born with original ideas and loved moving. <laughs> you couldn't have summed up Mary's little jaunt more neatly. February people had wonderful memories. Mary's specialty. <laughs> <laughs> We took a bit of rest and then had another go at the thing. Bobby was all for May because the book said that women born in that month were inclined to be capricious, which is always a barrier to a happy married life. 
but I plumped for February because February women are usually determined to have their own way and are very earnest. (laughs) (laughs) And expect a full return in their companion or mates, which he owed was about as like Mary as anything could be. In the end, he tore up the books, stamped (laughs) on them and burnt them and went home. (laughs) It was wonderful what a change the next few days made in dear old Bobby. Have you ever seen that picture, The Soul's Awakening? I love how many references there are. Let's look up The Soul's Awakening. We're going to look it up right now and then we should put it somewhere for people to see. Or you can look up The Soul's Awakening. It says, it represents a flapper of sorts, gazing in a startled sort of way into the middle distance with a look in her eyes that seems to say, surely that is George's step I hear on the mat. Can this be love? (laughs) Let me see. All right. All right. I can get behind that. Assuming you're using flapper as just a young girl, a young woman. woman. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So look up the picture. Here we go. All right. Well, Bobby had a soul's awakening, too. I don't suppose he had ever troubled to think in his life before. Not really think. But now he was wearing his brain to the bone. It was painful, in a way. Of course, to see a fellow human being so thoroughly in the soup. But I felt strongly that it was all for the best. I could see as plainly as possible that all these brainstorms were improving Bobby out of knowledge. When it was all over, he might possibly become a rotter again of sort, but it would only be a pale reflection of the rotter he had been. (laughs) It bore out the idea I always had that what he needed was a real good jolt. As you said, someone needs to smack him around. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. That was terrible. (laughs) I saw a great deal of him these days. I was his best friend, and he came to me for sympathy. I gave it to him, too, with both hands. (laughs) Wow. Well, now I know what kind of gentleman's club this is. That's always kind of a question in Oscar Wilde. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently. Uh, he gave it to him with both hands. That's, well, at least he was full, full in. But I never failed to hand him the moral lesson when I had him weak. (laughs) Well, that's rude. (laughs) That's like asking someone a question, right, if they've had an orgasm. Like, like, that's... Do you love me? Yeah. (laughs) One day he came to me as I was sitting in the club and I could see that he had had an idea. He looked happier than he had done in weeks. Reggie, he said, I'm on the trail. This time I'm convinced that I shall pull it off. I've remembered something of vital importance. Yes, I said. I remember distinctly, he said, that on Mary's last birthday we went together to the Coliseum. How does that hit you? Well, it's a fine bit of memorizing, I said, but how does it help? Why, they they change the program every week there. Ah, I said, now you're talking. And the week we went, one of the turns was uh, Professor Someone's Terpsichorean Cats. (laughs) 
Was this an early on production of Cats? <laughs> it was the Greek version. <laughs> Either that, or it was like the um, dancing you've cats. Seen, you've seen the video of those, like the cat rock band. No. No. Oh, gonna have to gonna have to find videos of this. There's video like. Oh no. It's the the cat band. Wait, are they dressed up like cats or are these actual cats? No, they're actual cats. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, no, don't look it up now. I can't. <laughs> oh, my God. love people and sometimes I go you need to get a job or a hobby <laughs> if that's or a their wife. hobby if that's their hobby they should find another one but that's pretty funny those are uh terpsichorean cats yep <laughs> but they were playing music they were and playing, terpsichore yeah, was the goddess was the dance, goddess of yeah. dance they'd be dancing cats i mean the one on the drums was kind of dancing kind of <laughs> it's kind of doing dee, dee, dee. yeah <laughs> I'll bet all the Terpsichorean cats have buttholes that don't have to be digitally added. I refuse to watch that movie until they release the butthole version. <laughs> okay, on or, the Terpsichorean cats. Or the butt cut, as I like to call it. Um, Tom Hooper, if you're listening, and you should be, um, until you release the butt cut, I refuse to watch your movie. <laughs> Just so you know. Terpsichorean cats. <laughs> I recollect them distinctly, as you would. Now we, are, now are we narrowing it down, or aren't we, Reggie? I'm going round to the Coliseum this minute, and I'm going to dig the date of those terpsichorean cats out of them if I have to use a crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! You're gonna beat the info out of them. Um, I think they probably have a calendar, like you should have. <laughs> So that got him within six days, for the management treated us like brothers, brought out the archives, and ran agile fingers over the pages till they treed the cats in the middle of May. Treed? T-R-E-E-D. Treed. Adjective. Planted with trees. <laughs> oh. Or forced or chased up a tree cornered in a tree so they'd cornered they the, date the date down to they pinned the date down Ooh, lovely that's fun until they treed the cats in the middle of may i told you it was may said bobby maybe you'll listen to me another time <laughs> bless you excuse me i love that his friend's been helping him this whole time and he's like i told you bitch maybe you'll listen to me for now he's like i have been listening to you for so long you're I will an idiot. Kill you in your sleep <laughs> with a crowbar <laughs> and a stick and, and a dancing on a cat <laughs> and a terpsichorean. Claw your left testicle. <laughs> <laughs> if you've had any sense, I said, there won't be another time. <laughs> He's like, trust me, 
This has not been fun for me. Please learn from this. And Bobby said that there wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Once you get your money on the run, it parts as if it enjoyed doing it. I had just got off to sleep that night when my telephone rang. It was Bobby, of course. He didn't apologize. <laughs> Reggie, he said, I've got it now for certain. It's just come to me. We saw the <laughs> Terpsichorean cats at a matinee, old man. <laughs> so it was a matinee of cats. <laughs> cannot i cannot i mean that's not the worst <laughs> birthday present you could give someone i mean a matinee performance of cats i've done it the matinee is hard though because you know you got another one that night and cats let me tell you even when i was 25 that is not a show that comes easily even three months in <laughs> the first piece of live theater i ever saw when I was five years old, was the London production of Cats, Mm -hmm. and it was a matinee. And I know that because as we were leaving the theater, uh, one of my parents said something to the effect of, did you enjoy that? I was like, yeah. Um, And uh, and they said, and can you believe that they just get a really short break and then they have to get ready to do it again tonight? And I said, they're doing it again? Can we go? Anyway, we saw those types of courting cats at a matinee, old man. (laughs) Yes, I said. Well, don't you see that that brings it down to two days? It must have been either a Wednesday the 7th or Saturday the 10th. Yes, I said, if they didn't have daily matinees at the Coliseum. I heard him give a sort of a howl. Bobby, I said. My feet were freezing, but I was fond of him. Well... I've remembered something, too. It's this. The day you went to the Coliseum, I lunched with you both at the Ritz. You had forgotten to bring any money with you, so you wrote a check. (laughs) I love that he went out for his wife's birthday week, and he didn't bring his fucking wallet. What an idiot. But I'm always writing checks. You are, but... This was for a tenor and made out to the hotel. Hunt up your checkbook and see how many checks for £10 payable to the Ritz Hotel you wrote out between May the 5th and May the 10th. He gave a kind of gulp. Reggie, he said, you're a genius. I have always said so. I, I believe you've got it. Hold the line. Presently, he came back again. Hola, he said. I'm here, I said. (laughs) It was the eighth, Reggie, old man. I, topping, I said, good (laughs) night. It was working along, a little, little, it was working along to the small hours now, but I thought I might as well take a night of it and finish the thing up. So I ran up a hotel near the Strand. Put me through to Mrs. Cardew, I said. It's late, said the man on the other end. And getting later every minute, I said. Buck along, laddie. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch, did I stutter? I waited patiently. I had missed my beauty sleep and my feet had frozen hard, but I was past regrets. 
What is the matter? said Mary's voice. My feet are cold, I said. But I didn't call you up to tell you that particularly. I've just been chatting with Bobby, Mrs. Cardew. Oh, is that Mr. Pepper? Yes, he's remembered it, Mrs. Cardew. She gave a sort of scream. I often thought how interesting it must be to be one of those exchange girls. The things they must hear, don't you know? Bobby's howl and gulp and Mrs. Bobby's scream and all about my feet and all that. Most interesting it must be. <laughs> He's remembered that she gasped. Did you tell him? No. Well, I hadn't. Mr. Pepper? Yes. Was he... Has he been... Was he very worried? I chuckled. This was where I was billed to be the life and soul of the party. <laughs> worried? He was about the most worried man between here and Edinburgh. He has been worried as if he was paid to do it by the nation. He has started out to worry after breakfast and... Oh, well, you can never tell with women. My idea was that we would pass the rest of the night slapping each other across the back with the wire and telling each other what bally, brainy conspirators we were. Don't you know? And oh, my God, they planned the whole <laughs> fucking thing. He set it up with her. Oh, shit. Oh, this is amazing. But I just got as far as this when she bit at me. Absolutely! I heard the snap. And then she said, oh, in that choked kind of way. And when a woman says, oh, like that, it means all the bad words she'd love to say if only she knew them. Oh, shit. And then she began. What brutes men are! What horrid brutes how how could you stand by and see dear poor bobby worrying himself into a fever when a word from you could have put everything right i just can't but and you call yourself a friend his friend metallic laugh most unpleasant <laughs> it's what it says it shows how one can be deceived i used to think you a kind-hearted man but I say, when I suggested the thing, you thought it perfectly, I thought it hateful, abominable. But you said it was absolutely top. It was nothing of the kind, and if I did, I didn't mean it. I, I don't wish to be unjust, Mr. Pepper. I must say that, to me, there seems to be something positively fiendish in a man who can go out of his way to separate a husband from his wife simply in order to amuse himself by gloating over his agony. But what a single word would have. But you made me promise not to, I bleated. And if I did, do you suppose I didn't expect you to have the sense to break your promise? I had finished. I had no further observations to make. <laughs> I hung up the receiver and crawled into bed. I still see Bobby when he comes to the club, but I do not visit the old homestead. He is friendly, but he stopped short of issuing invitations. I ran across Mary at the academy last week, and her eyes went through me like a couple of bullets through a pat of butter. And as they came out the other side, I limped off to piece myself together again. There occurred to me the simple epitaph which, when I am no more, I intend to have inscribed on my tombstone. It was this. 
He was a man who acted from the best motives. There is one born every minute. <laughs> the end. <laughs> There's a sucker born every minute. <laughs> oh my god, that was that damn was fun. Ridiculous. <laughs> that was fun. My God. Linguistically and grammatically and like just from a sentence structure place, that was so very of the time. It was very Oscar Wilde. Very of that. Very much so. When when did this one come out? This Do you remember? story first came out in uh, Strand in the UK, the Strand, the Strand magazine in 1911. Okay. But yes, very much of the time. Yeah. Very, very stereotypical like roles. And this guy in the middle is just like, I can't win. <laughs> there is a sucker board every minute. Yep. The road to hell, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> his marriage. It's paved with good intentions is, oh. is the thing that they say. I think he says the road to hell is marriage. <laughs> but he the... said marriage is like dynamite. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I, which would blow you up. <laughs> I guess you're not going to go to hell. but <laughs> Not necessarily. You're going to uh, be scarred. And burnt. Wow. So you can follow us on, uh, if you're still here, uh, www.campfireclassicspodcast.com. You can follow, um, you can subscribe. Please subscribe to our podcast on any of your apps that you listen to podcasts on. Um, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, uh, kind of on TikTok, and Instagram. So follow us there. Um, let us know if there's a author or a story that you would love us to read whether you've grown up listening to it or if it's something you've just always wanted to hear um short stories we love it so yeah. send that to our email address 5050 arts production all one word at gmail.com and of course the biggest thing that you can do to help us out if you're enjoying the show is introduce us to a friend of yours yeah send it's the best send a, a link do a thing get get one of your friends to listen just just one recommend us to five friends maybe one of them will listen and actually i'm going to steal a tactic from uh, our friends over at wine dine and story time oh, yeah. i heard on uh one of one of their episodes this this recommendation that i think is fabulous mm -hmm. take a link to this episode post it on your social media thing and uh caption it with i can't believe they actually said this <laughs> I did, yeah, this, yes. I was like, that's fucking brilliant. Yes. <laughs> so we're totally stealing go that ahead. from Wine, Dine, and Storytime, which you should also go listen to. Go we ahead. partnered so, with them last week. But yeah, go ahead and go ahead and clickbait the hell out of your friends. Clickbait the hell out of them, and it will benefit us for nothing. That's all you got to do is be like, I can't believe it. <laughs> um, I think we'll sign off. But yeah, uh, until next time. Thank you for listening. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Skimble Shanks, the Terpsichorean cat, the cat who has no memories. I wonder how litigious Weber is. 